The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Uh, happy Monday to you and yours. We've got uh, a big week on tap, and we're going to start by looking back at some of the big spring games of the weekend. We had Alabama. We had Ohio State. We had USC. We had Miami. We had Georgia. We had Auburn. We had LSU. Uh, lots to get to. We're going to give you some of our, our takeaways and some of our, our lingering thoughts. Uh, but first, you know, what every Cover 3 podcast listener has signed up for, the reason why you have subscribed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify uh, so that you can be here to get Danny Cannell breaking down the Super League breakaway. Here we go. It has been a once in a generation landscape shifting moment in soccer. Danny, did y'all break it out on the radio show? I was wondering because there are the college football, like you you just go immediately as like a good radio topic to be like, okay, so if there was a college football Super League breakaway, who would be the Real Madrid, the Man City, Man U? And you could start to put it together pretty quickly. We were going to, and then McElroy at the last minute punted on it. So we're going to do it tomorrow, which was a little bit of a point of contention because I was like, let's capitalize on it. But I like, there was so much spring football we had to get to. And McElroy's a little more studious, like serious, wants to be, make sure we get the information out there that he was like, let's make sure we do the spring games first. So we're going to cover that tomorrow. But the Super League, so you guys tell me, because I've seen all this stuff. Like now they're saying if you play in the Super League, you can't play in the World Cup. Is right. that correct? Yeah. So like this is a massive deal. Is it legit going to happen 100% or is it an idea that has been – because I saw, I thought I saw dollar figures too. Like it looks like it's set, but is it still up in the air whether it happens or not? Yes. I mean the UEFA, which is the – UEFA. UEFA, exactly. Good job. The governing body of European soccer has said that – any player that participates in these leagues or any team will not be eligible for like champions league or players won't be eligible to play for their international teams, little gray areas to whether they can actually do that or not. But again, that, that'll be the lawyer. So, but as far as the league itself, I mean, I, I still think it's a negotiation tactic in that these teams want the champions league to make it. They like the champions league, literally as we're recording this just announced a new format. Mm -hmm. 
And the teams that have joined are joining the Super League want to make it so that they have a they're pretty much guaranteed Champions League spots. Because the Champions League right now, for those who aren't familiar, are it's kind of like a playoff or a World Cup for soccer in that teams from all of Europe's leagues qualify for the Champions Leagues. Depending on how strong your league is, depends on how many teams. Like some, like if you think of it in the NCAA tournament, some leagues are just a one bid league. You win that, you win your league, you get to go to the Champions League. Some leagues get their champions in at large, is like Europe's or England's Premier League. The top four teams automatically qualify. Italy's league, the top four teams. Germany, the top four. France, the top four. Spain, the top four. They all qualify automatically. And then it's kind of like an it's a different tournament that's played during the season, and it's considered you know the crown jewel of the sport because it's literally all the best teams in Europe competing to win a title. And that's kind of what they're trying to make this Super League, except the Super League wants to make it so it's the same teams every year. So it's not really a meritocracy. Essentially, what they're doing is they're Americanizing their sport. Because if we look at our professional sports leagues, you're rewarded for being bad. You can't get kicked out of the league for losing games. Like, you just get the first pick of the draft. If you look at European soccer leagues and soccer leagues from South America and all around the world, if you lose too many games, you literally get kicked out of the league. And then you have to fight your way back from a different league to get in. So we have seen, and this is just my theory, we have seen an influx of owners into European soccer from outside of Europe, whether it's America, which a lot of the teams involved in the Super League, <gasps> shocker, have American owners, or from you know the Middle East or from Asia, who have looked at these teams as investment bids. They're not they're like you know they're not here to try to win trophies. They're there to make money. So they're trying to figure out ways to make more money because the money that they're getting from the Champions League is kind of being tapped out domestically as far as what they could, you know, suck out of the people in the region. So they're trying to find new avenues to get more money. So it's it's a real threat. I think that if it legitimately happens, it's going to have dire consequences for the sport as a whole. But I also think this is just a negotiation tactic still to get the people who run the Champions League to give those teams greater access. Yeah, it's like Texas being like, we're going to start the Longhorn Network and let's make sure that we get a big cut out of these Big 12 media rights deals because we're Texas and we know that the only reason that these numbers are going up is because we're Texas. Yeah, and I, like I have seen a lot of people like college football media talking about, well, we've already had this in college football with conference realignment. And I get the inclination to go there, but because it's similar in a lot of ways. But the difference is like, say, Nebraska, when it left the Big 12 to join the Big 10, Nebraska joins the Big 10, but it still gets to play in the Big 12. And it's guaranteed to be declared Big 12 North champion and Big 10 West champion every single season, no matter what its record is. And oh, by the way, the 85 scholarship limit, Nebraska doesn't have to worry about that. They can have as many as they want. That's what the Super League is with these teams. And that's where I think it gets interesting because I saw a, college, a, few, a couple of college football writers say this could open, if this happens, it could open the door to something similar happening. And I think I've heard Mark Cuban say, uh, you know, other times, like, what if some billionaire combines with some broadcasting company, like a thriller? We just saw the fight this weekend. Mm -hmm. What if thriller's trying to make inroads and they, but then, like, who do you go to? With these deals, like, do you go to the school? Like, because it's not a professional sports organization. Who do you sell on this? So uh, as much as I think it would be fun to talk about, like, hey, if you just created 30 teams, Super League of college football, where you were going to break off and do your own thing, which everybody thinks the Power Five is going to do anyway, what if you got ahead of that and, like, 
just like front run them, like front ran them and got in front of it and just went to the top 30 teams and basically kind of created your own NFL, but it was college football. Could that be done? But it's so complex when you think about who the money goes to. And maybe it would go to the players, but then are the schools going to be cool with just letting you use their facilities? I, it just, it, but it's totally fun to talk about who would create, who would make up the Super League. But in reality, I don't think it's a reality at all. Yeah. The, yeah. uh, the, Everything that we saw from the pandemic suggests that there's no way you were going to get all of the university presidents to agree on like anything, right? I mean, you would have to get in some of the statements that have been um, damning the Super League and coming out against them. They're like joint statements from uh, the different leagues that exist right now. Some of these governing bodies. The word that has stuck out to me is cynical. You know, they're calling this a very like cynical move, just sort of a greedy move and a cynical move. And I feel like there's just not enough cynicism at the university president level uh, to be able to just do this over money. Like you've got to at least you've got you've got to have something else. It can't just be totally. Uh, nope, we're, we're just going for the biggest payday, even though some would allege a lot of decisions in college football and college sports are uh, you know, a little bit cynical and all about the money. I just think there's still too many, uh, too many idealists in the decision-making rooms. And, and that's the other particular part of this too, is like, I don't want, it's not the right word, but like the super league is a lot more sinister than, because like, if you look at the reaction to it from fans, it's not just fans who hate this, like the players and a lot of the people who work for these teams are against this whole idea it's the billionaire owners who just want to do it because there's more money. So it's like, again, comparing it to college football, what makes college football great? It's the rivalries. It's the traditions. It's all that stuff that goes into it. If college football formed a super team, it would be just think of how everybody would respond to like Alabama saying, eh, we don't want to play Auburn anymore. Oh, yeah. Make more money. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just like forming that kind of league and just getting rid of a century worth of tradition, which is exactly what they're trying to do with the super league where they're saying, eh, it's it's we just this makes more money for us and that's what matters because i think i think europeans are kind of coming to grips with something that americans have kind of realized for a long time already with the professional sports teams is that the ideal that the teams actually care about their fans no they just <laughs> care about you as long as you're paying them customers yeah mm. all right hey cover three listeners here this is Chip here, and I wanted to let you know about what's on CBS Sports HQ this week. As always, CBS Sports HQ is your home to start your sports news day with live updates kicking off each morning at 8 a.m. Eastern. Little Punt Patterson always watches the C block of the 8 a.m. hour. It is the only way that I'm going to be able to get all of his clothes on for school. So, Ryan Wilson and Kyle Porter today, thank you for being able to provide the distraction that I needed to get my nine-month-old son ready for school. It's new news, updates, analysis, 8 a.m. every day, and HQ is always your home ahead of the evening's action with live picks from the best analysis analysts and cappers in the sports world each day at 6 p.m. So news at 8 a.m. getting you ready for the day. 6 p.m. gets you ready for that night with handing out winners. And as we get closer to NFL draft, leave HQ on all day for the latest NFL news, rumors, and mock drafts ahead of round one on April 29th. Danny will tell you all the team needs. I mean, he's got all, he's, he's just got charts all the way down. Who to target? What round? Your favorite team. Seen Danny on there crushing it as 
as well. Think of HQ as your ultimate NFL draft war room. So check out CBS Sports HQ on the computer at cbsports.com or via the CBS Sports app on your mobile phone or TV. It's always free and it's always on. That is CBS Sports HQ on the computer at cbsports.com or on the CBS Sports app through your mobile phone or your connected device. So we've got the, uh, let's, let's start at, at Alabama, okay? Alabama spring game, uh, the, there is no quarterback competition. We're going to talk about some quarterback battles uh, throughout this podcast that were a little bit interesting. Maybe we felt like we got some answers. Maybe we're not even concerned, but at Alabama, uh, to act as though Paul Tyson has a shot to knock off Bryce Young is to ignore everything that we have sug- everything that we have suggested here on the Cover 3 podcast in terms of ceiling and everything that we saw. Uh, he was the, the spring game MVP. Um, Nick Saban on the broadcast had a lot of comments, very pleased with the progress that Bryce Young had, uh, Bill O'Brien's offense. I mean, slinging the ball around Bryce Young had, I think more than 40 attempts on the day. And it was interesting because, uh, when we think about all of the wide receiver talent that has left, you know, the Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, like that whole wave is gone. We had a breakout. Ajay Hall was bananas. And I think I mentioned on this podcast going into the weekend, I'll never forget that Jerry Judy, as an early enrollee, true freshman, had a had a very, very impressive spring game, kind of a hint of what was to come from him in his Alabama career, had that same kind of feel. Different player than Judy, but at least in terms of uh, stepping up and having that kind of performance. And I, I think that we'll see as a, a common thread throughout this podcast a lot of early enrollee true freshmen. I know it's happening more and more for especially the best players because they want to get on campus, uh, but especially in the pandemic with you know a lot of fall seasons getting canceled. It's like, heck, I mean, you might as well go ahead and uh, and and go, go get on campus, get my college career started. Saw a lot of true freshman early enrollees flash. Jai Hall absolutely won. I uh, thought Bill O'Brien's offense, you know, our, our takeaways include the fact that they are going to continue uh, to push the ball down the field vertically. Some, uh, so, some other young wide receivers got a lot of time with John Mechie out because of injury. What, what, uh, what do we think coming out of uh, at the festivities at Tuscaloosa, A-Day as they call it? Uh, Alabama's going to be fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, you know, one thing I will say, because again, this is a spring game and it's a spring game. But like, you know, Bryce Young, obviously there's no competition. But the one thing I did notice from watching is that the offense, particularly in the passing side, did not seem as efficient as what we saw from Alabama last year, you know, with, with Mac Jones back there. And again, it's the spring game. It's a bunch of people learning new roles. It's a bunch of people playing practice, a lot of new kids that weren't even there a couple months ago. So you don't want to take anything too seriously from it, but this was, you know, Bryce Young finished with 333 yards of touchdown, but he was also only 25 or 44. So that's 19 incompletions in the spring game. And if you look like I just looked it up, you know how many incompletions Mac Jones had all season after the first three games, please tell me it's like six. 17. So Mac Jones had fewer incompletions in live game action for the first three games of the season than Bryce Young did in the spring game. So that's just something that I think I'm going to keep try to keep track of. But it's also we got to remember new offense, new offensive coordinator, new players, new everything. So you don't want to take it seriously. But it's just if there's one thing that really stood out to me that it's just like, huh, it would be the inefficiency of Young overall. 
Well, he probably faced better defense than Mac Jones did his True. first three games that were <laughs> out there. And that's always, I think this is really a fascinating aspect of spring games because if one side of your football team is crushing it, that means the other side of the football team, like, is there an issue or, you know, like, and it's a coach. Like, I'm sure it drives coaches nuts because you're happy in one sense, but then you're like, ah, dang it. Like, we couldn't stop anybody or, you know, man, our quarterback play was crazy, you know, bad. Like, USC gave up eight sacks, which is horrible for their offensive line. But what about their defense, which might be dominant? And I think that's something to take into sense because I thought the defense might have to carry this team a little bit as this is a younger offense breaking in some new pieces, specifically a quarterback. So I'm with you. I mean, I, I think that was my takeaway too was, yep, Alabama looks like they're going to be Alabama. It's not like you're changing any of your preseason prognostications because of a spring game. I thought from Bryce Young, I did think he looked a little – smaller than what we've used to seen at Alabama, even with Tua. Like, I think he's a little bit on the light side. Um, you know, he's a little more, and again, you've seen the the difference in Mac Jones and even Tua was not exactly a runner who ran around. Bryce, Bryce Young showing a little bit more quick twitch, showing a little bit more improvisation, which is a good thing. Um, but I also, the other thing, great for Bryce Young that he's separating himself, but the if something happens to him, I'm a little bit worried about the quarterback depth on the flip side, too. Uh, Bryce Young's listed at six feet, 194 pounds on Alabama's official site. So Listed. He's like 180. Yeah. <laughs> he looked a little but, slight. We'll see. I, we'll yeah, see. I, I will say this. Um, the, I didn't have this observation, but I was picking up from some of the, the notes as, you know, just trying to make sure that I'm gathering as much as possible to get ready for the podcast. Some were pointing to the offensive line. Just want, just kind of feeling like it's a little bit of a a, a group that is going to take you know fall camp before they really mm-hmm. figure out who are the right players and the right pieces. I think there's still some competition for that starting spot, and not necessarily in a way that they feel really good about their depth. They're not like, man, we got eight solid guys ready to go. Just got to figure out which ones. I think that there's still some work. I mean, I. I have some level of trust that Doug Marone, who's a pretty daggum good offensive line coach, will get it worked out. But Doug Marone can't play offensive line; like they still got to get out there and uh, and be able to field a unit that can perform at a at a high level. Um, you, yeah, I, I think that's a pretty solid rule. Like if in the spring, unless you've got like four or five starters back on your offensive line, your offensive line is probably not going to look very good in the spring game. Yeah. Um, what did McRoy have to say? Was he was he uh, coming in with any uh, specific dialed in Bama takes? No, similar. You know, defense looks good. Offense has some issues. You know, they've got to iron out. You know, like there again, it's kind of like there's not much you can say about Alabama without sounding extremely hot takey. Like, right. oh, the end of the dynasty is here. <laughs> I saw it in the defense. I saw it in the scrimmage. It's just hard to get out there with a really strong take. They looked good. They liked, They looked like they're reloading. Um, similar, we did talk a little bit about Bryce Young's stature, mm-hmm. and I think he expressed some of the same concerns there. The efficiency, I do think, what, it wasn't as clean or crisp, but I, I'd wondered, you know, what is what if the last five quarterbacks looked like in their spring games? I mean, I remember Nick Saban at different times being like, oh, a quarterback's got to play better. You know, like, and it's, again, this is the best advantage you have playing at Alabama as a quarterback, when you get to the regular season, it'll be a sigh of relief. Like, 
ah, wait a second. I have guys that are this open every time I have this much time to throw. And that's a huge luxury, but it creates a lot of stress in practice because you're going to be playing against probably the best defense you're going to face all year. I had very similar experience at Florida state. I remember thinking, I'm the guy, I don't know if I'm good enough to play here. Like I don't, and then you get into a game against Duke and it's like, Hey, this is awesome. I can be a hall of famer with this talent around me. It's just, it's just the way it kind of works. And I do think Nick Saban is aware of that and he creates a lot of stress for his quarterbacks. Like when he went off last week before the spring game on the reporter who asked him the question, like, so it seems like you know, we're all really happy with how Bryce Young is progressing and Saban like jumped in front of him and was like, who wait, who's saying he's progressing? You guys know you guys aren't watching practice. He's how do you know he's progressing or not? And then he kind of caught himself. He's like, I've seen him progress and it's been pretty good. Like he, he, but he creates pressure on them through the media and at practice every single day so that when they get on the field, it is a, a it, you don't feel as much pressure as you do in practice. God, he's the best. I mean, he's the goat. How about him like getting caught in the drill? Yeah. Like, in his full suit, like all suited up with his tie and his pink jacket on looking fly. And there's like, he's right in the middle of the drill. Like in, in his line afterwards was great. He's, he's like, hey, running into were, a goalpost. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, they know better than that. Like it was great. Oh man. Good stuff. All right. Over to Ohio state. The big 10 network had this factoid and I did not believe it. The Big Ten Network reported that 2021 will be the first season since 1952 that Ohio State will start a quarterback that has not thrown a pass in college. And I was like, wait, but I, I know that Jack Miller had had gotten in there, and I, I could have sworn we saw C.J. Stroud on the field pull up the stats from the season. Sure enough, Every Ohio State pass was by Justin Fields, and when we did see those backups, they were either handing it off, and I think they each have logged a a rushing attempt or two during their time. So here we go. First time since 1952 that Ohio State will start a quarterback that has not thrown a college pass. C.J. Stroud, uh, Jack Miller, and like we're we're looking at C.J. Stroud as particularly going to be at the forefront of this, but Man, it it kind of seems like all three of the quarterbacks at the at the front of this battle are all playing well. I mean, they all had better than 50% passing and this is the number one thing uh that we've talked about uh throughout um sort of our time looking at Ohio State this fall. There is so much talent at wide receiver that it kind of Kyle McCord early enrollee was uh, the third one on there. Sorry, I was reaching for it. But when you're looking at uh, Chris Olave coming back instead of going to the NFL draft, when you're looking at Garrett Wilson, who has done nothing but deliver on some of the promise that there had been for him uh, coming out as a top-rated prospect, Jackson Smith Jigba was awesome last year. Julian Fleming, another player who Bud, Bud Elliott, Barton Simmons, and others have talked about for a long time as having a really, really high-end ceiling. And then sure enough, Emeka Abuka, an early enrollee, true freshman, stepping on campus and uh, showing out, flashing in the spring game as well. So CJ Stroud, Jack Miller, Kyle McCord, all looking good. Ryan Day says he's going to carry the competition on over into the fall which makes sense. I think that that was certainly our expectation, but I think that Ohio state, 
like we're, we're going to be, you know, talking about Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma. Like we kind of already put together most of our preseason top five, but specifically, I think Ohio State might have the number one offense in the country. I think that we might be looking up uh, midseason and when we're starting to, to sort out our yards per play, when our points per drive. I, I think that this Ohio State offense, no matter who the quarterback is, again, I'm guessing it's you don't be even Stroud. need to see a pass completed no. in a real college football there game. There we go. You're, it's done. Number one, I would I would tend to agree with you. I would, <laughs> I, and I, I but I would take it a step further. I think it's going to be C.J. Stroud. When and I was watching that game live. I just I'm more of a believer in games like this that are structured and everybody has pretty nice games of some of the intangibles, some of the smaller things you might look for like body presence, leadership, but there was a touchdown pass that he threw to Marvin Harrison red zone. The one that he ripped a little quick slant to him. And it was just a little subtle thing. But if you noticed his eyes, he knew to kind of hold his eyes to the middle of the field or the opposite side. You don't even have to look off. You just have to make sure you're not staring down your receiver And I saw him just kind of make sure that he didn't go too early to Marvin Harrison. And it was a tight window, but the reason the window was there was because he held his head for just that split second longer and then delivered a bullet that was right in between the pads where he could not have dropped it. And I just saw in and out of huddles, you know, confidence. And to me, he looks like the next Ohio State quarterback. I could be completely wrong. Maybe it flip-flops. I think Ryan Day has to say it's a competition. If every other quarterback would have had three interceptions each, I think he still would have said, well, we're going to have a competition in the spring. I don't think it mattered. I think C.J. Stroud is the next quarterback. And when you're talking about the offense being one of the tops in the country – why should we expect anything less? It doesn't like this is a quarterback friendly system. Mm-hmm. You've got great talent around you, probably again, kind of like Alabama, better than every other team. And they've been top five offensively for the past four years with different quarterbacks. These guys are talented, so they should. And this receiving core does look insane. And I think we'll get into this, but. What about the pass defense? Like, are we worried about that at all? Because, yes, we know these receivers are awesome, but that secondary still looks susceptible. They were down seven banks who we expect to be one of the top players uh, in that secondary, and I think at least one other rotational or potential starter. And there were a couple of places, too, uh, across the country where I'd circled uh, defensive injury issues, a.k.a. the offense is going to cook in this game. And so uh, this, this was definitely another one of those spots. First of all, it is going to take some time for me to come to grips with Marvin Harrison Jr. being the player at Ohio state. But other than that, Ohio state quarterback competition, power rankings for me after the spring game, you got Stroud, then McCord and then Miller. That's my depth chart at the moment, but obviously things can change, but I do. I agree, Danny. I think Stroud's the guy. And I think McCord is the one that looks the most capable of, pushing him for that starting job just the way that he's already handling himself considering how young he is and he just got to campus like a few months ago but other than that my biggest takeaway like you mentioned that secondary and I do think there are still some concerns there but what was standing out to me from I didn't watch the whole game but just parts of it the, the Ohio State pass rush that was largely vacant and missing last year oh it's back Jack Sawyer they've yeah Jack Sawyer Harrison looked good they, they had they looked really good up front in that spring game. And it's just, it's, I think that I, I, cause I think that that really did hurt Ohio state secondary to a degree last year. We're like, they were getting pressure, but they weren't getting home. 
that looks like a front seven to me that's going to have more success getting home, which I think, you know, and if you're a cornerback or a safety and you're in coverage, the best thing that can happen to you is you only have to cover for a few seconds before the quarterback has to get rid of the ball or he's, you know, being hit and knocked down. So I think that would help if that comes through. But yeah, Jack Sawyer was really impressive. And I know Ohio State fans were very, very, they were, they were having fun watching him play. Yeah, I understand that. By the way, uh, if you want, if you're watching, which of course you can watch all of uh, the Cover 3 podcast episodes for that multi-platform excellence, youtube.com slash Cover 3. The CBS Sports app on your connected device. Also, just continue to scroll down on that homepage. You can find the full episodes of the Cover 3 podcast where you could see uh, Danny giving you the visual of what CJ Stroud did to make sure that he didn't give away his, uh, his pass there to Harrison. And you would also see that he is rocking the cover three hoodie that is right go to store.cbsports.com you can get cover three gear it looks fantastic uh it, is it comfy it looks really so comfy, comfy. Yeah. the hoodie as soft as it gets and i love a nice soft hoodie agree fantastic store.cbsports.com and as always youtube.com slash cover three coming up on the other side Taking a look at the Miami QB2 battle, what Auburn might be looking like in year one with Brian Harson, a QB1 battle at LSU, and more from around the country next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What does a World Series winning executive do after running a Major League Baseball team for 18 years? <laughs> Obviously, they start a podcast. David Sampson hosts Nothing Personal with David Sampson, a daily podcast dedicated to giving you the truth about sports, business, and entertainment. Step inside the front office and really get to know sports. Nothing Personal with David Sampson is available every weekday wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, it's just business. It's nothing personal it's a good show but the producer sucks <laughs> <laughs> much love to uh to matt coca who's uh the producer of this podcast as well he works very hard to uh, to make sure both of these shows continue to uh to thrive and survive uh all right georgia jt daniels um i this was my interesting takeaway. Uh, just a, a real quick note on this, and then if, if y'all have anything else, we can keep it moving. So JT Daniels, it entrenched as, as the quarterback. He finished the season well. 
they've got really, really uh, banged up at the wide receiver position. It's not just a, a George Pickens ACL issue, which takes away the player who we expected to be the alpha there, but it's just a lot of just nagging issues for that group. You got Dominic Blaylock, who's still trying to come back from an injury. Um, you know, Jack Saint, Rosen Jack Saint is coming back after a broken ankle uh, in the Florida game last year. So I'm trying not to take too much away. But I thought it was interesting that within the context of the the passing attack and JT Daniels was productive, a lot of a lot of tosses to the running backs, you know, sort of mm-hmm. sort of getting what is, I mean, not the first time or the last time, but Georgia's got a deep running back room, you know, whether we're talking about Zamir Zeus White, James Cook, like you, they can go two or three deep with players who would be a starter if they showed up to most other campuses. And so, you know, I'm kind of starting to wrap my mind around, you know, what this, because it's year two for Todd Monken, but we also give him the same treatment that we give a lot of year one head coaches in 2020, year one coordinators in 2020, knowing you did not have the full time to uh, install everything. So I'm just a a little bit curious and kind of trying to bring some fresh eyes and thinking about what Georgia could look like. It is, if it is facing a, a kind of deficit at wide receiver because of injuries or other issues, then maybe uh, all of that, those throws to the running backs are more out of necessity. That could have been it. But it also could be just a you know an interesting way to highlight one of the better skill one of the better skill positions that you've got on your roster. Um, defensively, no no big takeaways for me. What y'all think about uh, the way things shook out in Athens? I mean, it, it looked like a spring game. It, it's. It's like I, I'm more with you on the latter idea of like the running backs be involved or you don't have George Pickens and offense at its core is put the ball in your best players hands and let them do things with the ball that they're good at. So I think that when you lose a guy like Pickens, maybe right now as things sit this spring, you feel like, OK, well, our best playmakers on offense are probably our running backs, so we need to find ways to get them the ball as much as possible. So I think that's probably more than what it is than anything. But I do still think that. Georgia needs to find a Pickens replacement. They do need to find still some more explosiveness in the passing game that we started to see with JT Daniels last year. So for me, that's kind of what I was trying to look for. And again, the offensive line, like we mentioned with, you know, Alabama, I was like, it was so, so it was iffy. Some were, some were fine. There were some things, but again, in the spring, I'm not that concerned about it, but I know Adonai Mitchell stood out for them. Mm-hmm. It was kind of unexpected visit. He's a former three-star recruit who had a big performance in the spring game. He had five catches, 80 yards, and a touchdown. So maybe that's somebody who can help step up and pick in his replacement. And then another person that uh, came out too was the tight end, whose name is Brock Bowers. He's apparently been a big hit all spring in practice. Coaches have been very happy with him, and he played well in the spring game. So that could be a possibly another weapon that they have in their passing attack going forward. So, you know, there was some to like as far as looking for guys to emerge in those spots. And there's some stuff not to like, whereas, you know, offensive line I thought was iffy. I think defensively there's still a lot of young and experienced guys. But again, it's a Kirby Smart team. It's a Kirby Smart defense. Really not worried about them figuring out how to play defense by the time the season starts. So nothing huge to take away here. I just think it was a a spring game. I thought it was pretty important for them to carry some of the momentum they had from the last few games 
last season into the spring just to kind of continue that momentum going, especially around JT Daniels. Solid performance from him. Showcased some of that arm talent when he threw the touchdown to Adonai Mitchell. So I thought that was big. The running backs thing, I, I, I noticed it too. I don't think it's a huge deal. Maybe it was a point of emphasis. Like, hey, let's get these guys some catches. Or it I could be think, good. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, that, that, could that could be a great way to be really versatile offensively, get matchup advantages where, like, linebackers aren't able to keep up in the open field. Absolutely. Because we've seen the emergence of the tight end being such a – force because it's it, the game of football is about mismatches and any way you can find those and exploit them are what coaches are looking forward to, uh, for. So I think that's what something clearly they were looking at. And if you can have uh, running backs who can motion out or line up in the slot and run routes and catch balls from there, that's a massive advantage that will give a lot of defensive coordinators headaches to have to deal with. So the, and, you know, hopefully Pickens is back by the time the season starts. Who knows? You can't really rely on that because he's had a lot of injuries. But you feel like the receivers still have to develop. But I think overall, yeah, I'd say it was a successful spring game for Georgia. Mitchell, I believe, too. You mentioned he's a three-star recruit. Isn't he another true freshman? Another early enrollee? I'm not sure. I don't know. Which, I just know that he was one of the big stories. Yeah. How about the big story for me was, did you see where Stetson Bennett was on the depth chart? No, where kind Third. of back to where like this like walk-ons probably would be. He was fourth, you know, like which is kind of crazy that he was at playing the helm in of the this biggest offense. games. Yes. yes, and it's I mean it's kind of crazy. Again, I maybe Kirby Smart one day will tell us why JT Daniels wasn't started. Hopefully, it was health, but it's kind of crazy. Mitchell like Chip Chip alluded to another reason why we're kind of giving Todd Munkin a pass on year one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Mitchell from the 2020 class, so not another one of those early enrollees, but certainly a young player who is uh, starting to blossom. Uh, from Auburn, I, I was I didn't get my eyes on Auburn, you know, just being transparent. But I'm trying to pull you know pull together notes to make sure we've got the best content for all the Cover Three listeners. Thought it was uh, thought it was interesting to hear uh, Auburn's own Barrett Salee mention the downhill rushing attack that, you know, we think about you know, what a, a Brian Harson Boise State offense was, and, and depending on what quarterback he had at Boise State, the, the passing game was, um, you know, there were different wrinkles to it, but I do think that Boise State's offense was at its best when it had a physical offensive line, downhill run game, and that was mentioned at, in particular in contrast to some of the motion, jet sweep, window dressing, putt-putt offense kind of stuff that we saw under Gus Malzahn. You need to have a good offensive line that's going to be able to win in those tough SEC games to be able to have, like, you can't just say, oh, we're going to have a downhill rushing attack, and then if you only run for two yards of play, guess what? You're punting a lot. But uh, with Tank Bigsby who not only had one long touchdown run, but also uh, another good play in special teams with Sean Shivers. You've got two backs that are pretty good and at times in their college career have each popped a little bit. And so it's, uh, you know, we were wondering what is a Brian Harson Auburn offense going to look like if it's based off of a, a physical rushing attack. They've got a couple backs that look like they could be ready to go. Did you see what the first play they ran on offense was? No, was it a putt-putt kind of play? It was Bo Nix lined up under center, play action pass to a tight end. Oh, man. <laughs> under when center. When was the last time you saw that in an Auburn game? <laughs> <laughs> like, it just, like, you, you he ran a, a 1997 <laughs> college football play. 
Yeah. Like I, I, I feel like that, I, that was my biggest takeaway is I felt like it was a statement of intent. Like they, they still did. They still tried to utilize Bo Nix's gifts, like his athleticism. They had him doing rollouts. They even put him at wide receiver for a play. But I just thought like coming out with that as the very first play that you're running in the spring game was definitely like a signal of change, but it's just, yeah, it's, as far as takeaways, again, this is another one of those situations where it's an entirely new offense, entirely new coaching staff, just a lot of new stuff. So it's like it's hard to really come away with anything because you can't imagine you're seeing a whole lot of what the overall game plan is going to be come the fall. But I think that there's you know plenty of things to be excited about or at least optimistic about and plenty of things to be pessimistic about. I, I think that overall, from what I saw, and again, because there were so many of these things going on over the weekend that it's impossible to watch them all. But when I saw Bo Nix playing, I thought he looked good. And we know that I've never exactly been a huge Bo Nix guy, but I thought that in the constructs of the offense and what they were asking him to do in this game, I thought he looked good. I think you're going to see a healthy dose of Tanks Bigsby this year uh, for Auburn. I think the best way to help Bo Nix, and this is this goes, this is such football 101, like boring cliche talk, and but I think Brian Harson is aware of this, is to be able to be physical where you can establish the run game. And whether that includes Bo Nix as a part of it or not, it's just a massive luxury to make the quarterback's job that much easier. And I think that is going to be a point of emphasis. I do think, because when you think of Gus Malzahn, I do think you think tempo and you think misdirection, like a mm-hmm. little bit of trickery, like where's the football? Where is it now? Oh, they're muddle huddle. Now they're, they're going, now they're going super fast. Now they're doing... I think Brian Harson wants to get back to a little bit more of let's get back to some of the basics. Let's try to establish the run. Let's use the play action pass. The only thing, and I looked back, I was looking at Harson's numbers while he was at Boise state, like trying to get a beat on what they do. Pretty balanced attack, right? They were pretty balanced. Like we're talking about running the football play action pass, good, solid quarterback play. Like, does can do you have and you were good enough to do that and kind of impose your will on a lot of teams in the Mountain West? Because you're kind of you have a talent edge against every other team you're playing against for yeah. the most part. Are you going to have that at Auburn? Enough to where it's a significant advantage where you're able to impose your week uh, will week in and week out. I don't know if that's the case against AM, against LSU, against Alabama maybe against you know some of the weaker opponents, but I'm just kind of curious to see what this offense looks like and how does Brian Harson maybe evolve too and what does he try to do differently? Because, you know, I I, I just I wonder what it's going to look like. And Bo Nix will eventually they have to open things up and start throwing it more than they want to because they have to. I don't think you can just run it against many SEC defenses, even with a talent that Auburn has. Yeah, the offensive line has been a point of concern for Auburn mm-hmm. fans for a while. And if you're going to be able to do that, um, and to, you mentioned tank Bigsby, I just, you know, went to look this up. Like remember when carry on Johnson was carrying the ball, like 30 times a game in that 2017 season. Like I, mm-hmm. I had almost forgotten that Jarrett Stidham was a part of that offense just because like I had to look it up to go back because my memory of it is carry on Johnson putting the team on his back to win that iron bowl, to win that sec West. Obviously they fell short at the end of the season in the sec championship game, offense, offensive struggles against a very, very good George defense uh, being a part of it. But that sort of uh, approach where it's like, man, we're just going to feed tank Bigsby, not, not a bad plan. And, uh, and could be really productive over at Miami. We got a, like 
Charleston Rambo, former Oklahoma wide receiver. You know, we we had mentioned on this podcast that he might have looked around the Oklahoma wide receiver room, which has a lot of of young talent. Uh, Lincoln Riley and his staff have recruited very well at the position as they try to add themselves among the, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, uh, even USC, who we'll get to in a little bit as teams that can just overwhelm you uh, with talent on the outside. So, you know, that he might have looked around, thought his time was up. I'm starting to get, and granted, it's coming from Miami people that are going to want to have like a, going to be very friendly. I'm starting to get the sense that maybe Charleston Rambo just needed, you know, a little bit of a change of scenery. Because what we saw early on, you know, very early, he played really well first quarter of that uh, Miami spring game. And the the talking points seem to be like, Charleston Rambo wants to tap back into his 2019 form. Like 2020, we're just going to consider it a bad year, a wash. Again, I'm, I'm willing to entertain that Charleston Rambo, the player, the young man, just, you know, needed, needed a little bit of fresh start. And uh, Miami has been there to do it. Miami's done a great job with the transfer portal. I think that it's been big for their success over the last couple of years. Rambo can, does seem to be a part of it. We mentioned the battle for QB2 with Derek King still recovering. He said on the broadcast that he has uh, hit all of his benchmarks. He is set to and planning on, as long as things progress along this path, be able to play in the fall to start. But man, Jake Garcia... Uh, former USC commit, the man who moved across the country to try and play high school football during the fall of 2020, early enrollee at Miami. He looks excellent. And uh, Manny Diaz is really excited about the the future. Um, Tyler Van Dyke was the other quarterback. He played pretty well too. Manny Diaz saying after the spring game, he's very excited about the future of the quarterback room and the quarterback position. It's really Really nice for Miami to be able to look at Derek King, a proven playmaker, somebody with so much experience, and to be able to have what they think will be a bridge-type season with the future already ready to go, looking good. I, I kind of felt like it was a really good uh, spring game for Miami. I didn't see it. It was 11 a.m. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't want to give opinions on it. I, all I got is the stats and the things that I've read about it. But yeah, I, I think that if I'm a Miami fan, my, my main thing is I, I want Derek King to be healthy for the spring. And it's good news that our backups are showing potential. Well, I do see that Garcia took four sacks. So my concern there is he holding on to the ball too long to take that many sacks in a spring game or is the offensive line? Well, hey, spring game sacks. You know, know but like spring, spring game sacks. Like if I come up and sneeze on you, then like we blow the whistle and we call it a sack. I'm the quarterback rushing stats. I don't put much on and say quarterback sack stats. I don't put too and, much on. And to be fair, again, I didn't see it. So it could just be that. Cause it's like, Hey, we're already down to our backup. So nobody gets within five feet of our QB before we blow the whistle. Yeah. <laughs> I thought there's, I, I thought, I do think it's important that Garcia looked solid because, I mean, we do, we, so many times we assume players are going to be back, they're going to be fine, and Derek King's going to play 12 games and everything's great. I mean, he's a player that likes to run a lot. He's had injuries before in his career, and he's coming off a major injury. I know we take the ACL for granted now and just assume it's going to be fine, but I think it's important to have depth with a player who runs around as much as he does. So I think there's optimism there. I thought Charleston Rambo, like going to him early and often with six catches early in that game, it was like, oh, Okay, like you, again, you want to build on some of the offseason positives. 
so that you kind of create that carried into the summer. Like you want to feel good while your summer workouts and all these uh, things that are going on. I thought it was cool that De'Ara King was invested in calling plays late in the game. Like I thought that was fun to let him do that and be a part of the offense. I think it shows a leadership quality about him that's kind of special and unique and different. Um, The defense probably would have liked to have seen a little bit more play. I mean, they – they're losing two really good pass rushers, and they lost three if you can count Gregory Rousseau, who opted out last year, in Roche and uh, Jalen Phillips. So they're losing some pass rushers there. But I think overall, like, I'm curious, like, and you won't see some of the wrinkles because Manny Diaz taking over the defensive play calling is a big deal, but you're not going to see any of that, like, fingerprints in a spring game because he doesn't want to showcase any of that. So it's about evaluating talent. And from the talent you saw, I think they should be excited. So I thought it was a positive. I got a hurricane. A buddy of mine is a massive hurricane fan. Live in South Florida. Didn't go there like every other hurricane fan. <laughs> uh, and he swear he's now he's also has a laundry list of hot takes on the cutting room floor that I could go back to. He's like, we're beating Bama week one. I don't know if I'm ready to go there with that type of optimism, but they do have a lot of returning talent, young talent that you can get excited about. I think it's I think it's critical just for them to build on the season they had last year and hopefully they get back to a perennial powerhouse, which is looks like they're laying the foundation for that, some of the young talent. I don't want you to dox him or put him in any un- uncomfortable <laughs> yes. position, but can we get a name for your buddy, the Kane fan? My boy, Sean. Okay, I'll, Sean. I'll just leave it at Sean. Okay. Great dude. I've known him since we were childhood friends. Is not the Hurricane fan. I have another one who, by the way, did not go to Miami. <laughs> who was the one that used to root against me, like was like rooted for the Hurricanes while I was – my boy Sean rooted for me to beat Miami. Like we're tight. My other buddy, I'm done with him. He rooted <laughs> for the Hurricanes to beat me. This is a different one. I have way too many Hurricane fans, and guess what? None of them went to UM either. Yeah, no, you know, I, Chip and I are friends with a, a Miami fan who didn't go to Miami too. That's all they have. Yeah. They're all bandwagon <laughs> from the 80s and 90s. They got on early, and they never got off. So I, w- I would love if, if – I don't even sh- think Nevin Shapiro went to Miami. <laughs> no, he just wanted to be a part. He just wanted to be a part yeah. of the ride. Um, yep. Yeah, if if Sean has any good like mid-game Saturday texts, be sure to save oh. them, and we'll come back with a report from Sean after my big the, Miami the, games. The Ja'Cory Harris Heisman takes were strong <laughs> back in the day. Because uh, he didn't he have like an awesome season opener or something? Yeah, against Florida State. I think it yeah. was Florida State. He had like a massive game, and it was not one but two Heisman trophies. Oh, they were coming in hot. Goodness. I, uh, I might have fallen for that too, so I can't really judge Sean for that uh at usc it's interesting because i don't get a lot of sense of like positivity around keaton slovis right now it's like jackson dart the freshman quarterback played looked really good um and i kind of think that everyone knows that keaton slovis is going to be the starter no one thinks that he isn't but it was a it was an okay, you know, some good, some bad kind of game. Um, at the wide receiver position, they are dealing with a, a few injuries. But, man, J- Drake London is an absolute superstar. Uh, USCfootball.com identifying him as the most impressive player, period, uh, offense or defense. You've got uh, at the running back position, Keontae Ingram, former Texas running back, flashed. I think he's going to have a good season. On the defensive side of the ball, Drake Jackson. So remember, we got Drake London as your star wide receiver. Drake Jackson is just an unblockable pass rusher. Again, 
you know, I'm, I'm trying not to, uh, I'm trying to live by my own rules. I understand the sack stats, but that's something that I think we've seen uh, as, as a real exciting piece. How about Brew McCoy, man? Just getting on the field. Just good to see him out there. USC's wide receiver room, if, if fully healthy, is not going to be on there with an Ohio State, but uh, it's it's pretty darn good. So I'm, any, uh, any thoughts on the Trojans where it's just like a, a really talented roster, you know, the coaching staff changes that have been made over the last couple of years. Seems like everybody's settled in just a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of excited. I'm, I'm ready to fall for it. I'm ready to do it again. You know, I'm like the goofy meme. Uh, like I'll, I'll do it again. Uh, that's I'm, I'm ready to start getting that USC. This is the year hype going. I mean, I, I, I think again, spring games, but there is some concern about four interceptions by my quarterbacks in the yeah. spring game especially in an offense that is supposed to throw the ball a lot and it's supposed to have easy throws available to it and it's supposed to be pretty easy decisions to make based off of it. So to have that many turnovers, but again, it's the spring. People are rusty. So you can't, you don't want to put too much into it, but yeah, I I get the same sense from you too about Slovis where there's some people that are just kind of like not sure, especially considering how he looked as a freshman. And then like we've talked last year, he clearly didn't seem to be a hundred percent. And now he looked, he's looked a little rusty in the spring. So th- there are some questions people are, there, there's some doubt starting to creep in from a lot of people who follow the program a lot closer than I do on Slovis. I think the offensive line, I'm way more worried about than in the quarterback. Slovis. Yeah. And the quarterback, I mean, the, the interceptions are no, they're, I mean, take the sack, especially in the spring, like just get the whistle blown and then just don't throw an interception. But I think it was eight sacks they gave up Uh, from what I watched in the first early portion of the game. Slovis was kind of just constantly harassed and maybe eight isn't even an accurate number. There were a couple others where maybe they let go and would have been killed if he would have, you know, been live. So, and it's been an issue for them recently. So you're kind of looking at the recent trend and you're saying, "Uh uh-oh, is this going to be a continuing trend? And I don't think it's something that's going to give Clay Helton a lot of peace at night. Like you're talking about wanting to feel good. Yes, there were some defensive players that showed up that had an impressive game, but I think you're concerned about your offensive line with legitimate reason too. So I don't, I don't think you're worried about Slovis. Like I, I think you're like, yeah, there's inconsistency there, but at least you know he's your quarterback, and if he plays consistent consistently well like he's your guy i think the biggest concern is the offensive line and keontae ingram and the other back i forget who it was steven carr looks, pr- looks pretty solid out there like the keontae ingram addition like it, that's we've already talked about several transfers already and this is free agency the teams are looking at needs filling them with guys that can come in right away with experience and it looked like keontae ingram is going to be somebody who's going to get some meaningful time for usc and maybe even be an impact player i agree all right, we had uh, at LSU, uh, it looks like a we're mostly going to be looking at Miles Brennan and Max Johnson when that quarterback competition picks up. At Arkansas, K.J. Jefferson seems to be the standout. Vanderbilt, Ken Seals going to lose his, lose his hold on QB1? I don't know. We'll see. TCU, uh, you got to see uh, Zach Evans flash just a little bit as he continues to try to live up to that five-star reputation. Wide receiver Quentin Johnston uh, also seems to be 
figures to be a big part of the offense. Uh, just sort of rest of the country, even I'm, I'm there, I think there's probably a couple Mississippi State that I didn't mention right there. Uh, just sort of news or notes from some of these other squads. What really stood out from the weekend? You see Barton's jacket. Barton's jacket was stellar. <laughs> yes, that Did you, was. Okay, I was gonna say I tweeted the link to it. If you, that's that's a sweet ass jacket. It, no joke. I was like, the, I would. I Did would you buy see that who jacket. found it? Haley. No. Yes. Did she, she? got to credit the wife. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No. That's, she definitely. Sh- shout he, he's out to not fine, and that's that was a gem for sure. Yeah. She also asked for the credit too. You know, the, uh, the <laughs> all, all, always humble in the Simmons household. Uh, Barton's jacket was absolutely stellar. Saban's jacket was pretty stellar too. He always brings it for spring game. Very Southern spring floral pastels for the color palette. Uh, looking pretty strong. I don't know if that's Miss Terry or some hired stylist, but always representing pretty well in the spring. Is it salmon or is it pink? Like I, I feel like well, it's pink. I, if it's on football. a sunny day, it's pink. <laughs> right, but on, but it's football. So you'd say I don't know. Somehow it sounds better if you say salmon. But it was pink. Okay, it was definitely pink. Anything else uh, from across there, the country? It's no. There wasn't any like again. There weren't any real super takeaways. And for the most part, like a lot of these games, I was just kind of flipping through on Saturday. So it's hard for me to have any major. Did takeaways you see uh, Charlie Brewer was fifteen of fifteen for Utah? No, no, I did not. Good note. Out. Yeah, so he was. He had a solid showing, and I don't think he has to be. He doesn't have to throw for four thousand yards and fifty touchdowns to have Utah kind of in the mix. Agree, but he might. He might be. I mean, if you look, he played really well his first couple of years at Baylor, and then it kind of went off the rails last year. And even in that season, he played okay. You give him a good run game, which you think Kyle Whittingham is going to deliver. You give him a good defense, which you feel like Utah is going to deliver. And Utah might be that team once again that's just kind of flying under there that no one's going to pick. And Charlie Brewer might be one of their better quarterbacks that we've seen from them in the last five or six years, like stability and just a you know, like leadership standpoint. So I think Utah, that was a bright spot for them for sure. I'm calling it now. The three of us are going to like really talk ourselves into Utah over the next <laughs> few months. And it's all going to stem from the fact Charlie Perot went 15 for 15. <laughs> we won't remember that by September, but by the right. time the season's starting, the three of us are like, Oh yeah, Utah's the best team in the pac 12 Oregon and USC are playing for second. I, <laughs> no, I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm, I am going to remember it. I'm going to use it as my explanation when I'm on radio hits and they're like, all right, Chip, give me a team that we need to be talking about more. <laughs> Utah. Oh, yeah. Why Charlie Utah? Because Charlie Burr went 15 for 15 in the spring game. <laughs> Believe in the Utes. This, this is on the, the other ver- one. Another sleeper team, TCU. Yeah. Max Duggan looked solid. Like he's had an, like, and what he did last year, too, is pretty remarkable. Having almost had re- like his heart issue, which was not COVID related, but then not getting any offseason coming back. Like TCU, I think, is a team that's going to be better than they have been. And we talked about Gary Patterson and what the season, like how he kind of needs to have it. I would kind of expect TCU to be better this season. I think Max Duggan had a pretty good spring game this past weekend too. I agree with that. I did. I found myself, uh, I had to write some spring game, like storyline preview stuff for cbsports.com. And that I, I found myself as I was working on that, being more optimistic about TCU than I was during spring gleaning. So, you know, the yeah. process never stops. <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.
CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.